Hey everyone and welcome back to the show. I uh, hope you've been keeping well. Um, I'm a little bit behind on publishing because I've been crazy busy with my schedule. Just got back from uh, an amazing weekend with uh, Euphoria Science. Uh, so that was that was wonderful. And if you are listening and you're part of Euphoria, um, it was great to meet you in person. Um, I don't have any major announcements uh, for today. Um, I'm just going to hop right into today's show. And uh, today, Angelo joins me from Serafino, and he's a certified olive oil taster, which I found interesting. I've uh, been friends with him um, and have run into him many, many times over the last year, and we've been plotting to get together for a podcast, and we finally made it happen. And you might sort of think that the topic of olive oil um, doesn't really warrant much of a discussion, but uh, I think you'll find it quite interesting uh, in terms of where this conversation meanders. And uh, for those of you who are not up to speed, there is uh, widespread contamination of olive oil. Um, and I, I, when I say contamination, what I really mean is the sort of cutting of olive oil with regular conventional vegetable oils. And, um, you know, so we get into today's discussion really uh, looks at traditional methods, you know, wh- where olive oil really comes from, how do you know if it's legit, um, you know, if you taste it, if you put it on your skin. Uh, so really, this is about empowering you to ensure that you can actually buy uh, proper olive oil and um, not something that's been cut with vegetable oils. So while this might seem trivial, uh, the thing that's important to understand is that the fatty acid profile of vegetable oils is different from olive oil. So olive oil is a monounsaturated fat, and your vegetable oils tend to be polyunsaturated fats and typically lean towards the omega-6 side of things. And while omega-6 is not inherently bad for you per se, you find that for a lot of people, especially with inflammatory disorders, um, you know, you are going to have some problems with omega-6. And more than that, depending on the type of vegetable oil, that might be cut with soy oil, it might be cut with corn, uh, it might be cut with canola. Um, you know, obviously, if you're not buying organic oil, those oils then could be genetically modified and contaminated with uh, things like glyphosate or Roundup and other agricultural chemicals, which again can trigger allergic reactions actions can cause problems in the body. So as much as the conversation around olive oil might seem, um, you know, like it could be very short, uh, what you'll actually find is it could be a very long conversation. And uh, hopefully you learn something uh, from today and sort of like, you know, when you get out there and look for olive oil, you know what you're looking for. Uh, obviously, I want you to check out the show notes as well. I've linked to Serafino's products. They have amazing, high-quality olive oil, uh, plus a lot of other um, whole foods products. So your balsamic vinegars, fermented mustards, and a bunch of other things. So you can go onto their website, check it out. And of course, if you are uh, living in Canada, what I have noticed is that the products are now becoming a lot more readily available in a good quality grocery stores. So hopefully you enjoy today's episode. Um, as always, if you do, please consider sharing, subscribing, and uh, leaving us a review and uh, help me to bring you more awesome guests like Angela. So thanks for listening and enjoy today's show. All right, hey, Angelo, welcome to the show. Thanks for carving out some time and joining me today. All right, Brent. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, taking an interest in what I do in the whole olive oil world. Yeah, well, I mean, olive oils, uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit more as we get into it, but olive oil has to be one of the oldest oils used, um, and, and you'll shed more light on that in a second. But um, there's also a lot of, I think, misunderstanding, uh, some myths and obviously some fraud in the industry. So I, I, that's the sort of stuff that I want to get into today. But before we go there, um, you know, you are actually a certified olive oil taster. Is that correct? Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the official uh, name for it. I mean, they haven't, uh, they do have oleologists and some other fancy names for it, but there hasn't been anything set like, uh, like you would for a wine taster where you have, uh, their title is a sommelier, mm. um, but that's 
basically the equivalent and it's uh it's something that's uh, certified by the european union and and a bunch of other uh agencies and groups oh wow okay so what 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 does that involve exactly to get certified in that uh well it it was kind of interesting i didn't i you know being somewhat born into the industry because my family's an olive oil producer although i live here in canada um it was it was something you just take for granted but you the first part of the uh of the class of the course was like they actually tested your olfactory which is just your your nose and your uh taste basically the more more just your nose and your ability to distinguish different uh yeah difference in in defects really so they would uh they te- you had to actually there was 12 cups lined up in front of you and you had to they would put one in front of you and you basically had to smell that cup and put it in sequence and you can only be i think it was one cup off or two cups off to where oh, that wow. intensity sits in and if you can't if you weren't able to do that you don't even take the course wow um, serious well that sounds pretty crazy in terms of uh Stringency. So we know that your uh, sense of smell is um, probably akin to a bloodhound at this point, which is great. Um, so, and then from there, so once, so you actually get into it, and and how long does this whole process take, and what do you have to do? Well, the the first, it's the first level, and it was uh, it's it's a week course, and I was in Italy for this, of course, because there's no such thing here in Canada. Although there is now courses in um, I believe in New York and in California because they're producing all over there uh, but it's a week course and you're you know there's all the all the theory and the and all the olive varietals and the different ways of production and different ways of pruning learning everything about olive oil it's and you know olives and all the um you know parasites or pests that uh, can be involved in everything from the production to the bottling and to the know-how there's just I mean, olive oil's been around for at least well, ten thousand years that we know of, but it's wow. it's evolved so tremendously in the last forty, fifty years that it's almost not the same product it was uh, back then. And actually, you know, the grading system has actually has actually had to change because of the new polyphenol levels they're hitting and you know the oleic acidity has been dropping drastically so they've actually had to shift these numbers around so that it makes sense for today's uh know-how in, 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 in extraction methods and just like something simple as knowing when to pick the olive that mm. took thousands of years for us to figure out really and, and know that well, if you want higher levels of antioxidants and, and vitamin E and, and flavor, then you can't pick a ripe olive. And instinctively, humans, that's what we do, right? We wait for fruit or vegetables to be mature before we pick them. But with olives, it's, uh, I mean, depending if you're curing them, then sure, that might be a good uh, time for harvesting. But to produce the, the most beneficial, highest quality, most flavorful olive oil, then you're picking at the um at the verge of of maturation so 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 yeah so so let's let's sort of backtrack a little bit um because i find that interesting that things have changed so much in the last 50 years i mean historic is this is this like due to technology do you feel or do you feel like there's a climate issue you know um whether it be soil quality whether it be the conditions that we're growing in like what really has changed because i would assume here that there were things with olives that didn't change for thousands of years and now we're seeing a change in the last 50 years so what do you what would you attribute some of those changes to most Mostly the, well, the technology and the know-how of, of even just um, how to prune a tree and the timing of the harvest and how to transport those olives even is very important from the grove to the mill, even though it's a very short distance. But probably the number one factor would be the extraction method, which we consumers have been conditioned to look for this term cold pressed or first cold pressed. 
which that hasn't applied to our family's production since 1977. Like my family got rid of their press back in 1977. So what is it that consumers are actually buying when they're you know, looking for something with cold press? So the extraction method that we're using is a cold, it's still cold and in fact it can be colder or even hotter because it's a modern piece of equipment where you can control the temperature. Hmm. Um, but instead of pressure extracting the oil, it's uh, centrifugal forces that um, yeah, work to separate the pulp and the oil and, and the water. And, and because this is a much quicker, cleaner, it's stainless steel, like there's a lot of, uh, well, even with the press, it's, a lot of it is just, it's open. It's, a, it's open to the air and to light, whereas the enclosed centrifuge system doesn't have direct access to, like you don't get light feeding on the paste, which the paste in the press system is like sitting there slowly being crushed by this granite stone. And I mean, it looks all romantic and all, but it, it, and we want to think that, you know, the older way is better. And I, you know, I believe in tradition and certain things, sure, we can apply that, but it, mm -hmm. it doesn't work with, I mean, you can look at, I like to compare it to like the typewriter and the computer. It's like typewriter is pretty nostalgic. It's great to have, but it really for processing, it's not going to do what a computer can do. We know that. Right. So, so, so do you feel, I mean, so what I'm hearing is basically the, the method of extraction was obviously the same and now technology is just really advanced um, and we're doing it a different way. So, which, you know, I totally hear you, which, which is better. So what, um, how did people traditionally um, press olive oil? And, and I do want to come back to cold pressed. Uh, there's a lot to talk about there. So how did people traditionally press olive oil? And really, what is the sort of main methods? What are the main methods of, of, of um, extraction these days? Well, back in the day, there would be um, usually a force of women that would go out and harvest olives. Extremely labor-intensive. It was more labor-intensive, obviously, back then because there wasn't mechanical vibrators and shakers and tractors to move things around quickly and the know-how and nets. So extremely labor-intensive and time-consuming. Olives are they basically put on into sacks and put onto the heads of these amazing women and then walked to the, to the mill. And back in those days, each town that lived or that was situated in amongst all of those may have had up to 20 or 30 mills, obviously driven by uh, mostly water. Um, so they would take it to the press and the olives would, you know, get washed to the mill, to the frantoio, is the Italian word. And there is where the process begins of washing and then it, the olives and everything are, uh, you know, it's de-leafed de, um, de for the most part, uh, not de-pitted because that's actually something that uh, actually helps with olive oil uh, being extracted. But they, they get tossed into this large cauldron and there's two large hand-carved granite, granite uh, wheels that are back in the day was driven by hand or by mule. Um, and obviously, as time went on, then you know electrical motorized equipment was utilized. So they were still driven by a, a motor that basically rotated around this cauldron and they slowly crushed olives, and then they would add in more olives, and then slowly goes round and round and, and it comes to a point where you have enough paste in this big tub, granite metal uh, tub of, of olive paste and they would scoop that paste up and layer it onto a mat, which is usually actually made out of hemp. Oh, then, okay. Yeah, so then these hemp mats with olive paste were lifted by one or two or two or three people and then put into a big press. And you can imagine like a wine press, for those who've seen a wine press before, it's fairly similar. So they would take that mat, put it into the press, grab the next mat, layer of uh, olive paste onto that, grab it, put it into the next, on top of the next mat. So they, there's 
I'm not sure exactly how many mats would fit it, depending on the size of the press, but several mats. So like you think of like this time of like picking up paste and layer it onto this mat, put that mat into the press. It's very time consuming and the paste is like sitting there, which you know it's it's oxidizing. The olive fruit actually oxidizes fairly it ferments fairly quickly and that's why it's very important from harvest to extraction happens very quickly and that's you know we're 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 situated in a single estate where we have control of that. But then the paste the mats get layered up and then the um it basically you use today it's hydro it's hydraulic and there still is farmers or producers out there that are using a press but not uh not most of them that are actually in the top for you know competitions and producing high quality super uh flavorful and antioxidant rich all yeah oil. yeah the uh so the the the, pay, the pressure gets placed and then thousands of tons of pressure which creates obviously some friction so there's heat there so even when they say cold press like what, what does that actually mean is there, like are we using refrigeration to keep it cold or are we not applying heat or is there a certain temperature like we don't people don't really think of that but you know yeah in terms, in terms of what actually cold is and, and extracting olive oil cold is no no more than 25 um, the 28 degrees Celsius. Hmm. So, so, um, so in, in a modern, I mean, in a modern setting, obviously we're using machinery, um, to speed up the process, to process batches, you know, to make more essentially. Um, but you know, let's talk about cold press for a minute because, um, you know, you sort of touched on it a minute ago. I've always believed, you know, I started researching olive oil a few years back and I started looking at cold pressed and um, maybe you can sort of elaborate on this. Is cold pressed, is there some sort of threshold in terms of what you can legally call something cold pressed? Like, does it have to be below a certain temperature or is it more based on just, just the method? It, well, there is, there is standards, but... <laughs> and regulations, but it's not uh they're not being enforced so it's like there's no there's no inspector running around to the olive oil mills you know, mm. checking the uh temperatures but i mean because of the fraud it's just it becomes pretty confusing and this tangled web of like what's actually allowed and what's not allowed well like there it's very strict in terms of what is actually going to get you extra virgin, but it's, there's just no one enforcing it. But yeah, well, um, the, the reason why I ask is obviously, I mean, you know, when you talk about oils and you talk about fats, I mean, the big, the big concern for um, those people in the know, and for those of you listening out there, I mean, if you don't know this, uh, you know, the higher you heat oils up and fats, the more damaged they become, and of course, then from a health perspective, that's obviously not a good scene at all. Um, you know, and that's why, that's exactly why cold pressed is put on bottles to let you know that the heat is very low in the processing. And, um, you know, anytime you use machinery or equipment, uh, as you said earlier, there's going to be friction, there's going to be heat that's created. Um, as far as I know, I mean, even expeller, uh, pressed, um, you know, it's, it's going to create some sort of heat and friction, but to my understanding as well, and perhaps you can talk to this, um, olive oil is fairly stable, um, under heat. Is that right? Or cause again, there's a lot, you know, I'll sort of preface this a little bit. Um, there's a lot of sort of, I'll say it's a, I don't want to say it's a myth, but I'll just say there's a lot of debate going on out there. You know, olive oil should be used at a very low heat because it's easily damaged. And I've looked at studies that have actually tested olive oil on high heat and they say it can withstand high heat. So, you know, as an olive oil taster and aficionado, what, what do you have to say about that? Oh, this is, uh, I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, it's been probably in the last four years, three to four years, where, and, and still today, people are, have this idea and I'm, I'm just going to call it misinformation because we live in a continent um that you know obviously there's not much olive oil interest in big agra here and mm -hmm. there is a little bit in california so we obviously you know we want to sell or 
they want to sell uh, corn and soy and canola. But yeah, so olive oil has been cooked with for as long as olive oils existed in the Mediterranean. So eight, I can say it's been you know eight to ten thousand years that that uh, these countries of which are today, you could say Portugal and Italy and Greece and, and Morocco and Tunisia and all these wonderful places, the Mediterranean, which most people know that the Mediterranean diet can be one of the most healthy diet. And if we know that, and the base of their diet consists of only olive oil and only cooking with olive oil, then we're like, where do the lines get crossed here? Because this, this mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Like we've been touting the, the Mediterranean diet being one of the healthiest diets, and all of a sudden, oh, you shouldn't cook with olive oil, or olive oil has a really low smoke point. Yeah. Well, and, and so so here's here's another thing, right? And again, for you geeks out there, um, I'll elaborate on what Angelo is saying. When you talk about um, when we talk about fats, we're essentially the more unsaturated a fat is, the the less stable it is, right? So if I have a saturated fat, that lends itself very well to high heat um, because of something called double bonds, right, in the fats. Now, olive oil is called a monounsaturate because it has one double bond in its structure. And then we have polyunsaturates, which are our vegetable oils, um, our hemp oil, our flax oil, and so on. And those have multiple double bonds. And this is precisely why heating these polyunsaturated fats, so heating vegetable oils and stuff is really brutal for your health because you damage the double bonds and essentially you render the oil or the fat rancid. And that has significant health impacts. But olive oil sort of sits closer to saturated fats in a sense. And I'm not lumping it together, but I'm saying it only has one double bond. So I've always looked at it and said, you know, olive oil can withstand heat because it it is a monounsaturate. But this is a point that I, I really was looking forward to bringing up with uh, with you on this podcast. And you just you just touched on it. The smoke point, you know, this has been a burning question for me. Is the smoke point the point at which the double bond gets damaged? Or is it simply the point at which the oil starts to smoke? You, you know, and, and again, like maybe that maybe it's not coming across quite clearly if you haven't really looked at fats, but I've sort of sat on the fence with that. And I'm like, I don't know, because I haven't found any answers for that. So, so what I'm here, you, you know, so smoke point, um, a good example, right? So um, I think it's called camellia oil. Have you heard of that before? The camellia oil? Yes. No, ca- camellia. I think I think it's called camellia sinesis or something. It's like a new omega rich oil that's being grown in Canada. It's it's yeah. yeah it's kind of hard to find. But but what's interesting to me, right, is with that oil, they're putting on the front of the label rich in omega threes, which are very very sensitive to heat. And then at in on the same label, they're saying it's got a high smoke point and you should use it for cooking. And I sort of go, well, if it's rich in omega-3s, I wouldn't cook with that because it's very prone to damage. So there seems to be a lot of like cross lines and miscommunication between smoke points and actual rancidity and damage. I, well, like you said, there's not that much information out there about it. And especially with olive oil, it's just been such a well-suppressed industry that there hasn't been enough studies done with it. Uh, but the University of California has an olive oil department and they've you know recently tested the smoke points and I just I don't know exactly if it's I'm I'm certain I'm almost certain they are that they're related in that the smoke point is where the uh, the, the oil gets damaged uh, where mm-hmm. the double bond gets damaged but the smoke point is where yeah, once you've reached that smoke point, that's where carcinogens are created. And, and it was actually a chef who showed me, um, you can actually see black deposits being formed in the oil. Huh. And we were, he was, he was using our family's virgin olive oil, which we promote for cooking, and he was using a vegetable oil. And within, and he was using, he was just frying that, he was just like a breaded eggplant. But within the, second fry in the vegetable oil um, it actually you can actually start to see these black deposits and within the olive oil it 
he was around five. He, he was able to cook five rounds of eggplant before uh, these black deposits started. Oh wow! Okay, so in other words, what what you're saying is it's it's actually quite stable it um, under heat for a prolonged period of time, and I've actually seen. Uh, studies that have shown that but another way to get around that and and i'm not sh- you know perhaps you can elaborate on that is you can also once you add onions and garlic and stuff like that um it really stops the oil from burning it to, is is my understanding um oh, for, for sure yeah like obviously you I mean any everyone's done that everyone listening here we've all you know, throwing a pan on the stove, throwing some olive oil in, and then we got busy doing something else. And we're like, oh man, I forgot to add the onions or forget to add the food. And then it starts smoking, right? Um, but but let's sort of move the conversation on a little bit. And um, you touched on this earlier as well. You know, um, well, where do we start? What's the difference between extra virgin, virgin, first press, second press, and all that, all that sort of stuff. And what, you know, the grading system that there is and what, what should people really be looking for? Well, there's a, at the top, we have extra virgin and, uh, and I'll clump virgin in there as well. Virgin would be second from the top. So it's, it, it gets sent to a lab and you'll like acidity is uh, measured and, if it is below 0.8, it'll be classified as extra virgin or be, you know, beginning of the process of, okay, this stuff, this oil is on its way to the next step, but it, it it's, you know, falls into the parameters of extra virgin. So extra virgin has to be less than 0.8%, whereas virgin is between 0.8 and 2% of oleic acidity. Uh, so it has to do with the acidity. It's not. It doesn't have to do with the when you pick the olives and first. Like it's got nothing to do with that. Well, it's it has a lot to do with that. That is how you obtain this acidity. Like it has uh, this acidity is naturally occurring. So if you're picking, you know, the olives at the right time and the olives are, are you know completely healthy, and you don't have any olive fly infestation or any mold or the olives haven't been sitting around like there's def- different defects that'll occur from you know different and this is part of our training is that you know you will get a different defect from olives that have sat around before they were uh, milled so if they if olives sit around for more than 24 hours then you're not going to you're not going to obtain extra virgin olive oil especially if you're in the southern tip of the mediterranean and it's you know the this could be October, November, and you still might have days of 20, 25 degrees, then you're certainly not going to get extra virgin olive oil. So there's, there's a lot of factors and variables that um, come into play in order to get this oleic acidity low. So okay. that's, that's the one main factor. And the other one is um, the olfactory test. So this is done by tasters, and the, the oil is not it has to reach a score of 6.5 for it to be classified as extra virgin. So this means like basically no defects in the oil and, and as a taster and, and even as just, you know, an ordinary olive oil consumer, you can, you can come attuned to these defects if you just know, but the problem is that, you no know, all of them just sort of been this ordinary kitchen grease that people just throw in a pan and maybe make a dressing out of. But once you actually, smell them and taste them without doing anything to them, you can begin to recognize different um, attributes and flavors and aromas to it. So, so so is it fair to say then that, you know, a good um, extra virgin olive oil, like obviously organic is the way to go here. Um, perhaps we'll touch on that, but it's sort of a default position. But um what we're saying is, you know, is extra virgin olive oil, are we looking for that very strong sort of aroma, like versus something that's quite neutral? Or is that, does that sort of change as the grade um, goes down? Uh, oh. <laughs> it's, I, I, it's a hard one to peg. And the reason why I say that is, you know, a lot of people just go to the store and it's like, whatever, I'm just going to buy something that says extra virgin. But as someone who's tried many different ones, you know, you, you now see companies that have, um, olive oil that is full flavored and then not so much flavor and then neutral flavor 
and so on. And so they're all say extra virgin. And so I kind of, I've always wondered to myself, you know, what are they doing to it to take the taste out or the smell out? Yeah, well, they technically, in the, in, you know, according to the International Olive Oil Council standards, that you can't do anything to it. Like it has to be all naturally occurring. Huh. Uh, so these extra light and yeah. whatever, whatever that means, I'm not even sure. Is it extra light in color or extra light in taste? Or, like that's not even an actual. Huh. So do, do, do you think then, I mean, let's just move our conversation forward. Do you feel that, um, you know, we're not going to name any brands here because I actually couldn't do that uh, even if I tried, but do you feel that this is where the whole fraud situation comes in? Like, you know, it's well known now. Um, people have been making noise for a while about how olive oil has been cut with vegetable oil and so on. Do you feel like that maybe has something to do with it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's the deal? I mean, let's just get right to it. What's the deal with this whole fraud situation? I mean, um, what are people doing? How prevalent is it? Is there any way to actually tell um, whether your the olive oil has been, you know, uh, cut or damaged or anything? Yes. Well, it's um, you know over the years we've been we've been. Uh, We've been marketed to and now most of us have to buy things on according to the marketing on the label instead of using what you know god gave us and we got these senses of smell and taste and touch and a few other ones in there that uh, can help you distinguish whether you're getting something good or bad and instinctively that's what humans did we and i tell people like you can I know that you would be able to tell the difference blindfolded between a rotten apple and, you know, a freshly picked apple right. and you just cut it. You can smell it. I know you can. So it's, a, it's the same thing with olive oil, but it's just bringing your attention to it. And ultimately, I mean, as, as a company, what we do, and, and we do, we're just educating and we just want people to understand what good olive oil should smell like and taste like. And, and so, yeah, sorry, carry on. And that's ultimately how we want people to distinguish what they're getting. Yes, we, I can also tell you what information should be on the label. Um, if you want to search out, obviously, something that is worth eating and, you know, safe and you know, it's got some credibility to it, um, which we can walk you through as well. Because there's a lot of... Um, Mis, uh, well, the misconception or um, yeah, just the, the deceiving terminology that we find on labels. And, you know, there's products that, and this gets pretty confusing too, because it's like, well, each country or each continent might have their own rules to this, but you have made, you have products that, you know, are imported from Italy and the labels on some of these products some of them say made in Italy. Some of them say product of Italy. Some mm. of them say bottled in Italy, imported from Italy, packed in Italy, number one brand in Italy. Well, what do all these mean? And like, they don't obviously mean the same thing because imported from Italy can't possibly mean made in Italy. And you know, we bring people's attention to that. And, and imported from Italy means, yes, it's been imported from Italy. They're not lying to you there, but where was it made? Right. So are you talking about like they're importing the olives and then making it here kind of thing? Or are they importing the oil? Or I mean, I guess I can see where the confusion arises. Well, for imported from Italy could usually that means or the minimum, the minimal uh, requirement is that it has been on Italian soil for 24 hours. Say that again. Sorry. That a, a product that's imported from, I, I'm not sure if it's every country, but probably every country, because they, they do it with honey and other products. But a, a product that has been imported from Italy means that at the minimum requirement, it had to, that product had to have been in Italy for 24 hours. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of that's, crazy. That's, that's, you know, it, it's imported from there. They're, they're not lying to you but they're not telling you where it's made. So 
you know, there's very detailed information that you should expect to see on an olive oil label. And it's, you know, for any wine drinkers out there, um, then they know they look for certain things. They don't just go into the wine shop and pick up a bottle of red amongst many other reds because they know that, well, they like their Shiraz or their Cab Franc or do they like, you know, BQA or do they want, you know, France or do they like Bordeaux or Chardonnay? Like, there's so many different regions and there's so many different grape varietals. So all of it works the same way. There's 2,000 olive varietals and that is something you should expect to see on a label. Why wouldn't you want to see that on a label? Well, nobody, I bet you right now, the listeners, if I ask someone to name me an olive, you might get one olive varietal that most people condemn. This usually happens in any of my talks or classes that I, I do, but Kalamata is like that popular, famous right. uh, table olive, which also can be used for olive oil, but there's 2,000 species. So on, on, a, on a label, expect to find the cultivars and you might find a blend of different varietals. Mm. So from the country of origin, which of course is important, but it's, you don't want to stop there. And it's, it's something, and I, you know, we, we all want to know where our food comes from. We all should want to know where our food comes from. And if, you know, if you're buying honey or maple syrup, then, you know, of course we live around the areas of where that is produced, but you most often know, okay, well, this is, you know, RR2 pepper law, Tom Jones. Well, I know exactly where that is. That makes you feel good. And you're going to buy it because it's Tom Jones. He's in pepper law. That's like where you live. And all of our works, again, the same way. You want to know who made it, like who made this stuff. Because all, all the olives in Italy, no, there's no big companies that own olive trees. It's all, they're all the olive trees, especially in certain countries where the terrain doesn't really lend itself to having big companies own swaths of land. Like, you know, they, they can't go in and buy thousands of acres of olives because that just doesn't exist. You have mountainsides and hillsides and, you know, a few... Um, plains where you can have, you know, a fair amount of olive trees. Like my family has 25,000 olive trees, but they're wow. scattered and there's a lot of like mountainside and hillside that, uh, you know, enclosing where these groves are situated. Um, so knowing exactly where the stuff was made and, and, you know, in our labels, we just point out that it's harvested, extracted and bottled at the address that we give you in our family's town. It's a specific location. It's like, that's where my family produces olive oil. That's where their office is. And that's where they live, the communal living there. So if you go to that uh, address of the mill of their, of their, I don't even like using the word factory, but it's it's just a front oil. If you go there, you're going to see an olive mill and you're going to see be surrounded by olive trees and people that actually live there. Uh, so that's that's the other important thing. So who made it? And speaking of that, like the family name is usually somewhere on the, on the label. And what Italian producers do, as other as well as other European producers, that they they have the name of their farm, which is most often just named after the family. Yeah. So are the producers, the growers, they're the farmers because we grow our own olives. That's the name of the family and they have their name of the farm on the front of the label. So they have the name of the people who made it. And what that actually does too is it, it obviously tells you exactly who's making it and that these people stand behind their product. And more importantly is that it, it gives it gives this legal responsibility to an individual and they're not, they're not you're not hiding behind a you know a corporate name. You're actually exposing yourself and saying, yeah, this is who we are. This is where we live. And these are the olives we're using. So what else do you want to know? Like yeah. you can come, come check us out at any point. You do have Google Earth. You got you can you know do your own <laughs> research on olive varietals, on family, on like you, you now have the information, the key pieces of information that you know could get you to where you need to get to. Plus, you know, obviously our contact information and you know, if you want specific information of, you know, this bottle that I bought and where, you know, what batch, what tree did it come from, you can give you that. But you pretty well put what we think is the most important relevant information on, on the label that 
what most people don't know that they need to look for. And that's part of the education process. Like people, yeah, it's like what they don't even know what to look for on a label because all we've been conditioned to look for is cold press and extra virgin. That's all yeah. they, that's all people people look for well 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 that that's exactly why i got you onto the show um because i know that you do trainings i know i mean we've we've chatted off air um in person in the store a bunch of times and so i've actually learned a lot from you about what to look for and um yeah i totally agree with you i mean even as you know as a teacher myself um those questions have come up and i haven't really had a good answer so um you know so thank you for shedding more light onto that and um you know, so so just to sort of really pull that together, people are really looking for the we're looking for the country of origin. We're looking for the family name or family seal. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've seen on a lot of the olive oils they actually have like batch numbers or lot numbers. Is that is that correct? It's almost like a quasi audit trail, right? Yeah, that's it's man. It's fairly mandatory, and I mean even the big companies do it now, and it's all part of the. Uh, the requirements for even CFIA, but it's, I mean, for us, it's, yeah, something that we have been doing, but it should, you know, be very specific on, because as, even as the, you know, some people ask us, well, why don't, why don't you put the oleic acidity content? What's the acidity content? Well, if we don't put it on, it's just another number on there that confuses people, but that also changes with every batch. Well, yeah, especially if you're making it fresh like that. I mean, you can't really standardize uh, something uh, like that at all. So um, any uh, anything else that you feel um, listeners really need to know about olive oil um, from your side? Oh, gosh. Well, even even just sticking with the, uh, the authenticity factor, you know, like price point. I know your listeners, I think, are from all over the world, but price point is really important too. And if here in Canada, like we have, we're a major producer of canola oil, and there's many grocery store shelves that you can go to, and there's certain olive oils that are at the same price point as a canola oil. I've seen that, yeah. So what is going on there where canola oil is combine harvested here in the prairie, flat land, machine, everything's done by machine, hexane chemically extracted, like it's very cheap to make. And then you have this olive oil that you know, is coming from a completely different continent, 7,000 kilometers away, and it's got to uh, travel across the ocean, and you had a different currency you're dealing with, because the euro is much stronger than the Canadian dollar. Right. It's shipping across the ocean. You have an importer, which canola we don't need that for, and then you have a broker, usually a distributor, and and then you have the same cost, like it, it just doesn't make any sense. So that's there's, there's a lot of different things I can tell people, like you know, look at the cost of a bottle of wine or cost of here in Canada we produce maple syrup. Maple syrup isn't five dollars a bottle. There's a lot of work involved to produce maple syrup. A lot, yeah, yeah. We know that because we're surrounded by it, and we, you know, as children, we're taken to the sugar shack and we see it being made, and it's forty liters of sap to get one liter of syrup and and as i tell people because it's like until you've seen an olive tree and you've gone to experience it then you don't really know you can be easily taken advantage of um anyways getting back to the price point it's it's safe to say that here in canada if you're spending less than twenty dollars for a half a liter maybe a three-quarter liter but not so much anymore then it's very unlikely that you're buying extra virgin olive oil. In most cases, you're not buying olive oil, period. I believe that most of the olive oils on the market can't possibly be any grade of olive oil because it's still expensive, whether it's virgin or even pumice or lumpante grade of olive oil. If you get, very, like, we don't produce very much low grade, but depending on the time of the harvest, but our low grade olive oil, is much more expensive than producing vegetable oil because you're still taking it through the same extraction method, which is very expensive and very labor intensive. So twenty to forty dollars here in our country is an honest safe bet. But, but even at forty dollars, like there's several, I mean, I mean several olive oils that you will not, and in our market doesn't support it. We would love to bring in. 
French olive oil that are great or Tuscan or but there's they're at a price point now where you don't even see them anymore here in Canada but you know they're like fifty dollars a bottle which that's what, wow. what they're going for that's what a real good Tuscan olive oil goes for like it's, it's very limited production in Tuscan and if you're actually buying a true Tuscan olive oil then yeah you got to pay for it so like we're in southern Italy where you know wages are lower and things generally are just much cheaper then you can you know produce a great olive oil at a reasonable price and that's you know partly uh, a tribute to our successes that we have a very approachable price point and it's you know in that bracket of 20 to, to 40 dollars depending on the size that you're buying price point is, is certainly important um yeah what else like there's even even to so, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just, uh, you know, on the price point situation, like, do you feel that there's just like a general lack of education and awareness and perhaps even appreciation for what goes into making it? I mean, you know, when you've got a whole bunch of oils, and I've said this on many other topics, I mean, even supplements and vitamins, minerals, and whatnot, um, you know, you get what you pay for, right? And there's, you know, when you walk into a store and you see a bunch of olive oils on the shelf, um, you know, and there's olive oils for $7 a bottle and then there's some for 40 bucks. Um, do you feel that people are just like clueless as to quality and what goes into it? I often wonder this, but obviously some people are and some people aren't because and I've been doing this for 17 years now. And hmm. just like how, and, and, and I'm, I'm, obviously thrilled when someone brings to my attention and people are certainly waking up to it because they're because of what's been going on, the exposure and you know, Tom Mueller and his book and like there's been a lot of talk about it. Um, but yeah, you have you have these huge price points and customers are some customers are like, oh yeah, why like they're both labeled extra virgin and one is like, you know, seven, one's like thirty. Like why? Okay, yeah. well, you know, put it this way, would you, for those of, you know, car enthusiasts, I'm not much of a car guy, but can you get a Ferrari for 30 grand and can you get a Ferrari for 200,000, right? Like you can't, you can't get a Ferrari for 30 grand, it doesn't exist. So it's, you're buying extra virgin, which means, you know, there's no such thing as a low quality extra virgin olive oil. It's, it's it doesn't make any sense. It's all so in other words, it has to be cut or something has to be going on if it's a low price point. I mean, there's there's no there's no roundabout way to get it so low. No, and people say, yeah. well, it's volume, or I'm like, no, it's it's not volume because there's only a few countries that can put off volume, and it's like you know Spain and and you know any mass uh, flat land where they can use intensive growing where you can get the price point a little lower. But we deal with one of those companies because we deal with other. Producers and one of our Spanish producers is a very large producer, but they're at a more approachable price point here in Canada because they're like $22 a bottle. But it's not possible. And even if it was possible, it would be like some big Italian company would go in and like pay them even more than what they're selling it for and just bottle it themselves. But it's the fraud is just so rampant and it, and it started. I would say with the Italians, and it's, but everyone's doing it because it's so easy to do. You just do it. <laughs> you just <laughs> fake olive oil in a bottle, put a label on it, and start marketing it. And it, it just, you're not going to jail for it. No one's ever gone to jail for it. You should be going to jail. You're, you're committing a fraud against a human body. Like you're telling someone that it's one thing and it's a completely other thing. If you commit, if you, print fake money you're going to jail yeah especially i mean especially in light of you know there's so much research now surrounding vegetable oils you know i mean it's it's just canola oil um soybean oil all of these other oils i mean they're all just garbage right they they do nothing for you in fact i think that it's they're a major contributor to a lot of the health issues that we're facing today and so you know the thing that kind of irks me a little bit is we got people that are selling olive oil and it's cut with these other oils. You know, if you were cutting something with a, with a good equivalent um, that was going to be beneficial for my health or at least not damage my health, 
I might be able to say, okay, whatever, I'll let it slide. But, you know, adding vegetable oils um, and then selling it as olive oil is kind of brutal if you think about it from a health perspective. Absolutely. Especially if you have someone with some sort of allergy. And I've had, I, I know that this has come up where people have been allergic to olive oil. And I was just like, I don't no. think you are. I think you might be allergic to fake olive oil that has probably... Yeah, so, to soy or something like that. Yeah, or hazelnut or whatever. You know, it's, there's, there's so many different things that it can be possibly cut with because all these guys probably do is they shop the international market for the cheapest oils they can find. That's what they do. Like people say, well, you, they, they probably contain some olive oil. I'm like, no. No one goes and robs a bank and only takes half the money. They take it all. <laughs> so they're, if they're going to put fake olive oil, they're gonna, it's all going to be fake. Why would they bother putting a single drop of real olive oil in there? Because if they get caught, it's the same consequence, whether it's 50%, 1%. They might as well do it. Huh, wow. So what you're saying is, the, you, you, I mean, is this for real? Like there's actually companies that are selling olive oil where there's no olive oil in it? I I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, huh. I, just, I haven't been in the factories, and I, you know, they probably. Well, you don't see the factories are all just bottling facilities. You don't you don't see where the olive oil comes from. It comes from off a big ship from somewhere, and you know, there's there's so many labels out there that they're just so ridiculous in what they actually even put on them. There's a I guess I can't mention names, but there's labels out there that. You know, one of them says that they, they hand harvest their olives from the Mediterranean rolling hills and they put this lovely story on the side of the bottle. And we, and yeah. It goes to say that we source our olive oils from all around the world. I'm like, what? You just said it's Mediterranean and now you're saying it's from all around the world. And, and what? It's made in a, bottled in a peanut oil facility. Huh. That huh. Peanut, and these are organic brands on our market. And how wow. Extra virgin olive oil, what part of what that means is that it may not contain any other part of any other type of oil. It only can be olive oil. The extra virgin, which has been just bastardized, of course, but even the word extra virgin belongs to the olive oil industry and other coconut oil industries adopted it as well. Mm -hmm. But it belongs to the olive oil industry, and that's exactly what it means. It's solely from the olive fruit, nothing else. So if it may contain another oil, then take that extra virgin label off of it. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of crazy. And I think, um, you know, for those folks listening out there, um, I'm really loving this info because um, I had no idea. I mean, I, I knew that for sure people were cutting it or there was fraud going on, but that's kind of crazy to think, you know, and, and I mean, we're also talking about something that's essentially completely unregulated, right? I mean, it's not like there's olive oil police going around um, <laughs> checking things and making sure it's all in check. Um, there yeah. is in Italy now. What's that? There is in Italy now. Like really? Italy. Okay, yeah. wow. Wow. We need to get like special task force out here and, um, and see if they can make that happen. So um, uh, anything else from your side before we wrap up here, Angelo? Um, well, this, I was going to mention, uh, something simple. Like I just, I want to help people get their hands on a bottle of real olive oil, obviously. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. if everybody, if everybody was actually consuming real olive oil and because I know the statistics of what's actually produced and what's being consumed, like there's probably the numbers I haven't looked recently, but the numbers have probably gone up to over a hundred thousand towns tons of like there's more than a hundred thousand tons of olive oil being consumed than there's actually being produced which means if everyone was actually using olive oil there's not enough olive oil to go around okay there's, huh there's, interesting this is part of the reason of the fraud as well but it doesn't help producers grow if we're not supporting them but um one other factor i guess in determining the quality or even the authenticity of it and it's a, it's a skin test. And I'm not sure if this is, a, I think it's just come, I mean, for me, I just, it was probably from when we first started and, you know, watching my dad put it on to, and he's fairly happily married, but he puts the olive oil to uh, other ladies' hands and has them, you know, rubs it in and like, it feels different. And I started to, you know, and that was back when I was, you know, still 
whenever whatever age I was, I was still very young. But seeing that, and then like later on, I'm like, huh, I wonder what happens if I start using other types of olive oil or other types of oil on my skin, and what feeling do I get, and how does it react with my skin? And what I figured out is that really good olive oil, but even different varieties of olives and, and even timing of the harvest feels different on your skin and it absorbs differently as well. Mm. Really what I guess the, the, the message I want to get across is that we have one olive bridle that I just actually, it's my moisturizer and we probably literally have thousands of customers that buy it for their skin. We actually have soap producers and other high grade um, moisturizing producers around us that um, use it in their in their blends of skincare. But you can take our olive oil, I'll put it out to you called Alto the Olive Oil. And we, you know, you put a drop of that or two on your on the top of your hand, and I just get people to feel it. So what you can do at home is like if you have two bottles of olive oil, or if you happen to have what you think is not legit. And you would go out and buy a really good one, go spend some good money and try to you know, look for that information that you talked about, bring it home and put a little drop on the other hand and just, you know, go back and forth and, and learn. And this goes even with tasting, but a comparative tasting or touching is the way to really help you hone your senses and on what's actually good for you and what you like and, you know, where you could use it. But, when you move this olive oil around on your skin, the left hand, and you move the other couple of drops you put on your right hand, you start to feel like, oh, one's like, you know, the fake stuff, typically, not typically, always, will be very, it'll have this grimy, greasy feel to it. It doesn't, it doesn't have this, you know, good olive oil typically have this very silky, uh, soft, velvety feel to them. And, you know, more important too is that it, your skin actually absorbs it. When people say, "Well, I, you know, I've used tried using olive oil in my hair or I put it on my skin, but I just have to wash it out," I'm like, "That's because you're not using real stuff." I mean, my and I know that my grandmother, like they, you know, washing their hair wasn't really a thing. They didn't do that. They actually put olive oil in their hair and they just combed it out. In fact, if you go further back in time to where, you know, the whole Roman Empire was actually built off of olive oil, but the, that Roman emperor would bathe in a pool of olive oil. That's what those guys bathed in. I'm wow, crazy. In a pool <laughs> of olive oil. So they would go in and, and you know, they'd rub themselves and all it lifts anything, it lifts the dirt or any grime or whatever, and it obviously feeds your skin as well. And you'd come out and the servants would scrape them off, you know, all the excess oil. But going back to your hand, you you can just move that oil around, go back and forth, and then just let it sit there, and you can usually see with the good quality stuff that it goes into your skin, but also it, you know it leaves your skin feeling like it's an instant moisturizer. And I, it's amazing. I love watching people's reaction to it. You know, especially women because they're obviously more um, sensitive to well their skin and like they just you know, take care of people that are themselves locally or mentally, but they feel it and they're like, oh my gosh, like that is crazy. I can't believe that it just instantly, you know, it gives your skin a nice sheen and it, and it, and it, you touch it and it's like, oh, it's not greasy. And then you go back to that other hand where it could have been now even 20 minutes later, and we do this in our class, like get people to put them on early and then you go back and you still can see that oil blob there. And your skin hasn't absorbed it. And like, I mean, I know I'm not uh, too scientific at all, but my thinking is that because each of your skin cells and they all got lipids around them, like they just basically detect whether this is good or not. And if it's good, then it just, it's almost like they're eating it or something. Yeah, you, it, you, you might be onto something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if, and if, uh, if it sits there and it's their way of rejecting it and your body is just saying, yeah, this isn't, this isn't feel good. Right. So I, I feel like people are more in tune with their sense of touch than they are going to be with their sense of taste, especially when it comes to olive oil. Mm -hmm. So like if it doesn't feel right, doesn't feel good and it looks greasy and it doesn't go through your skin, then chances are that you should not be eating it. Don't create right. your body. And it's, 
And it's, that ties into one thing that we believe in too. It's like anything you are putting onto your skin, because it's, and you know more about this than I do, you know, it, it, it has a direct uh, way into your bloodstream. So anything that you actually want to be putting on your skin, you should be willing to eat it. And yeah, not willing to 100%. Eat it, you should be putting it on your skin. And yeah. that's, and it, it's quite possible that olive oil was actually used on the skin and as a moisturizer and brought in skin food for, could have been well before we humans were actually even eating it because of you know, huh. the old acidity and them not figuring out exactly um, how to make it healthy or palatable or, or like the high acidity levels weren't healthy for you. So who knows? It could have been. It could have been used. I know it was used for many other things, and this is going more into the history of it. And you know, like the whole city of Naples was lit by a grade of olive oil called lampante, and the name comes from lamp oil. Like that's the grade of oil that was used only for lamps. It wasn't used for eating or their soap making. Or, you know, it's it's it basically would a whole community or a whole region would depend on their olives because it did it sustained them. You know, mm -hmm. not only food but it was fuel and yeah. light and soap and you know and they they had to sustain themselves through the winter it's obviously with a good fat and that's what most of these peasants like olive oil is a peasant food there was a peasant food and, and I, one of my sayings was yeah the, the, the poor man's food becomes a rich man's delicacy because that's you know for when my dad was growing up and obviously his the time before his time like in southern Italy especially wartime all that like they didn't have much and like if they were if they had some olive oil and some bread like that's what they basically lived off of through the through you know the hard winters and stuff yeah. Well, it's in, so it's interesting. I mean, I've always said, um, you know, once we started refining foods and this sort of king's food, if you will, uh, those were heavily processed foods, you know, your white rice and all of that stuff back in the day. And what was interesting right. was the, the, the kings and the wealthy people would often die uh, much younger than the peasants because the peasants had to eat unrefined food. Um, so yeah, I totally, I, I totally get that uh, from an olive oil standpoint um, as well. So uh, just for time's sake today, Angelo, we're going to wrap things up. Um, uh, you know, thank you so much for taking the time out here and joining me today. And obviously, um, you know, I'm going to be putting links to your company. Um, you know, you guys make awesome olive oil as well as a bunch of other products. Um, but before I let you go, is there anything else that's coming up? Is there any specific place you want people to find you or connect with you um, other than your website? Uh, well, we're finally joining the uh, 21st Century. We got Instagram going, we got Facebook going. Um, we do, and all this information will be on our website or we do posts um, like where I'm doing talks and like occasionally we have like come May or uh, March, we have one of our uh, balsamic vinegar and wine vinegar producers coming in, um, which is a whole other topic and that's a yeah. whole other issue with fraud. But we have him coming in to do a, um, we're, we're doing a few shows or at the yoga show um, in Toronto. And we, you know, we do a tour with him and we actually visit some of our accounts and do a tasting and uh which will be with nature's aquarium actually a bunch of their stores is where we'll be doing our talks which people can awesome. up and sign up and do a vinegar tasting and figure out what good vinegar is all about so you know i mean ultimately we're on a quest to just uh what we feel and we do the research and we visit these people and their family like i know we know these people we sit at their kitchen tables with them and, you know, I visit their factory or I visit their farm bathroom. I see everything. And it's, and it's become for me, like, I don't, we're not going to sell anything unless it goes onto our kitchen table and we love it and we enjoy it and we feel good about it. And we know where this money is going because we need to mm -hmm. obviously, you know, fund and, and give our funds and our hard earned money to people that are doing the same thing and, and actually, you know, we're, all these companies are quality driven companies. Of course, the bottom line is the bottom line, but yeah, but 
you know, but I mean, I, I agree with you on in, you know, in so many ways. Uh, I, I think that we need to start getting back to supporting, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about local, you know, local growers and supporting local, but um, I just think supporting small families and supporting family growers, whatever the whatever you're growing, um, you know, we've seen a massive erosion here in North America of small family farms. I mean, they've just disappeared and they've been sort of gobbled up by giant conglomerates and biotech companies and whatever else. And I think that as a global society for us to move forward, uh, we're going to have to start investing more in um, what we're talking about, you know, like l- little people, family farms, small scale farming, and so on, and, and actually move away from industrial uh, scaled operations. That, that's And that's been echoed by many other organizations. That's not just me saying that. Um, mm-hmm. I think we have to get back to that. And what that does is not only creates a sustainable future for us, but it also um, creates a more sustainable economy for, for everyone. Um, and, and, you know, right now the economy is just so lopsided that uh, the middle class is disappearing. And I think that by, you know, giving money back to people like that and supporting people like that, um, you know, hopefully we can even things out a little bit from an economic standpoint as well. That's, I couldn't agree more. It's, mm-hmm. You know, food is, is culture and it, there's, there's such a disconnect from where your food's even coming from. Like you, you have no culture. You don't, you don't even know who you are because going back to the saying of you are what you eat, like that is true. It's been, that's how it's saying it's been around for a long time because it's yeah. true. And if you can't come face to face with the people that are sustaining your life, that are the building blocks literally of your body, then who are you? Mm-hmm. Having that connection that, you know, for me anyways, it's, it's, it's something I didn't realize perhaps as a younger child, but I certainly, it is the most important thing in the world, you know. Apart from clean water and and knowing your food is like like that's it. That's all. Yeah. Well, and and I th- I think you know people are you know the the reason why we're talking. I mean we we're, we move in similar circles in that sense, and people are waking up to that, and I think people do want that. So, um, so Angelo, I'm going to wrap things up for us. Uh, thanks again right. for, for coming on. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to catch up with you in person. Uh, at some point, we always seem to bump into each other. So that's great. And um, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, you guys out there listening, um, I hope you've enjoyed this show and uh, really got the lowdown on olive oil. Um, definitely check out the show notes and the website link to um, Serafino, which is Angelo's company. Um, they really do have high quality um, olive oils, balsamic vinegars, and a few other things as well. I think you guys are doing fermented mustards and stuff like that these days, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they're a raw sprouted uh, mustard made right here in Oxford, actually. Right, right. Yeah, so there's lots of cool stuff that, um, that Sarafino and Angelo and his team are up to. Um, thanks for listening, as always. And if you did enjoy today's show, please consider subscribing, uh, leaving us a short review, and sharing this with your friends and family. Uh, I'll catch up with you next episode. Uh, Thanks once again, Angelo. And you you have a beautiful day wherever you are. Thanks again.